Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 211 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a leader in digital transformation and user experience design thinking. Through consultancy and training, he helps organizations make better use of technologies. He is also author of five books, including Digital Adaptation and User Experience Revolution, as well as being a speaker on user experience design and digital transformation. So welcome to the podcast, Paul Boag. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. So Paul, obviously that was a very brief summary of your background. Could you perhaps give us more of an insight into, into what you do and what you're up to now? I work as a user experience strategist, which basically means that I advise companies on how to improve their user experience, which is more than just you know, improving their screens and the interfaces that they put out into the world. But it's actually looking at their wider organizational strategy, how they go about engaging with customers. So I work with a huge range of organizations from big charities like UNICEF to major retailers like Puma and all kinds of different organizations. And I kind of my work moves from being user experience into digital transformation and service design. All these things overlap, really. So, yeah. So, in terms of user experience, what is your your view of why why it's so important now, in particular, and has become such an an important aspect of of IT and, and system design? Because consumers are very demanding. Um, I think it was somebody at IBM that once said that people's last best experience online becomes their minimal expectation going forward. Enterprise software is a great example of this, right? That people struggle to understand why they have to go on training courses to learn how to use a piece of enterprise software that their company has spent millions of pounds getting up and running when they can go to the app store and download an app for free that they instantly know how to use. And increasingly, consumers and employees and people generally are not willing to kind of tolerate that anymore. They're not willing to tolerate why, you know, they get these wonderful tools for free like Skype and Dropbox and all this kind of stuff. Yet the tools they pay money for are consistently terrible in a lot of cases. So why do you think that's the case? Obviously, you you specifically mentioned enterprise applications, and you're right. I think historically, they tended to be developed and designed to support more of a a back-end requirement rather than sort of an interactive or user experience aspect. Is that what you see, and why do you think that's happened? Well, I mean, it depends on what you to define as the user experience because the user could be a member of your own team you know it could be the user could be a employee but saying that that aside i think the big problem is is the people buying enterprise software and specking enterprise software are not the same people that are using enterprise software 
So if you're, say, an IT manager, um, you know, you're interested in, you know, how quickly I can roll it out, whether it comes within my budget, whether it has the functionality that I've been required to create, you're not the one that has to sit there day day in, day out using the, the system. So really, the user experience, the usability of that system isn't high on your agenda. So I think that's that's a big problem with enterprise software in particular. And also, organizations are always willing to put more money into their public-facing world than they are into, into their own back-end systems because you can see a more tangible and specific return on investment. But what they constantly underestimate is the, the return on investment that comes from cost savings. You know, for example, if people are trying, you know, spending quarter of an hour trying to find a piece of information that they're looking for on the intranet, that you know, that's a quarter of an hour of productive time wasted times two hundred thousand employees, and it becomes a lot of money. You know, yeah, it does. Absolutely right. Okay, Paul, can you perhaps share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not know and perhaps should? I think probably my best tip that I've ever had is to to really think outside of your immediate discipline, right? So let's say, for example, you're a developer. You need to be thinking about design. You need to be understanding business strategy. You need to maybe take interest in any number of areas, because if you think about it, Anything that we do to these days involves a huge amount of collaboration. You know, digital and, and IT has become so specialist now that, you know, they, because it's so complicated, you've got so many different disciplines all doing different bits of it. And we have to work with each other in order to be able to deliver something. And if we've got no comprehension of what those other people do or the value that they bring, then A, that undermines team working, but B, it also means that we don't have the language or the vocabulary to talk to these people. One of the things that, that I do in my own career is ensure that I'm a, as much of a generalist as possible in many ways. You know, yes, my specialty is in user experience design, but I can still write code. And I will always want to be able to do that. Is my code as good as a developer? Absolutely not. It's shocking and it would it would make your toes curl. But at least I understand the language of it and understand the principles behind it, etc. So I think really that's my top piece of advice is to, to be interested in, in other disciplines. In terms of the way you would do that within a team, for example, so obviously you cannot learn everything. How, how do you familiarize yourself with what everybody else is doing? There are lots of different opportunities to do that. I think one of the big problems is often an organizational problem that you know we we split people down right into these different departmental silos so you have an IT team sitting over here a marketing team sitting over there you have a, a product team sitting on a, you know in another building and they're not interacting with one another they're not having a daily conversation beyond email and I don't count email as a conversation really so just literally getting up off of your ass and going and saying can I sit next to you for a day just so we work side by side or instead of you know let's we're working on this project together let's book out a meeting room for a week and all sit in there and, and work side by side on it yep. um, failing that just shadowing people for a day seeing what they do is a really interesting thing to do the other thing is I read books on a and blog posts on a wide range of subjects you know so if for example you're a developer 
do you really need to know about the latest React add-on or the latest? How many of those things do you need to read? How many, you know, for, for designers, how many posts about the top 404 error pages do you need to read? <laughs> You're not actually learning anything new by looking at this kind of stuff. So instead, read about marketing, read about psychology, read about business practices. You know, stop reading material that's just about stuff you already know yes yeah broaden your horizons learn a few things about other people's skill sets yeah okay paul can you tell us about your worst it career moment and what you learned from that experience i've been doing this for a long time and i was working for a um, a dot-com company back in the dot-com boom of the late 90s and uh, it was an, an amazing time with huge ups and downs. You know, I was going to be a millionaire and then I wasn't going to be a millionaire and, you know, all the rest of it. And then towards the end of that, as things were inevitably falling apart um, at the dot com that I worked at, I made it quite a big mistake. We were we the, the senior group of us as senior managers were very much looking to rescue what we could out of this company before it went under. And so we started planning the idea of creating um, an agency out of it um, and that we would take some members of the staff with us in order to still provide their jobs, et cetera. But we did this really all behind closed doors. We actually ended up hurting a lot of people because some people were on the list and some weren't on the list and it caused a lot of resentment and even from those people who were on the list, they felt very uncomfortable that they'd been included without being consulted. And it was a massive mess where I really, it was bad people management, basically. It's as simple as that. The thing that I came away from that experience is with a very strong belief that you've always got to be absolutely open and transparent with your staff at all time. And to empathize, you know, I, if anybody, should know better. That's what user experience professionals are supposed to be experts at, is empathizing and understanding users. But so often, um, user experience professionals are really bad at applying those same principles to our colleagues. And I just (laughs) hadn't thought through enough the impact, how that would make people feel. And then, of course, you get carried along by colleagues and what other people are doing. And that's an easy mistake to make as well. So it wasn't my finest moment, but you have to learn from these things. You have to, you know, that's part of life, isn't it, really? It is indeed. And you you obviously touched on empathy there. Do you feel you're more empathetic, as it were, to to your colleagues now? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think some to some degree that just comes with age because you have more life experiences and the more life experiences you have, the more, the easier it is to empathize with people, the more that whatever they're going through is similar to some experience you've had in your own life at some point. Back then I saw myself, you know, I wouldn't have known what the word user experience was. You know, I was a designer. I designed websites, you know, that's what I did. And so there wasn't really the idea of user research or the idea of empathy and things like that back then. Well, obviously there was the idea of empathy, but not within user research. So back then I was designing interfaces essentially for myself, you know, oh, this looks pretty. It looks good in my portfolio rather than being things that are actually useful to the end user. And so the idea of empathy wasn't really 
on my radar at the time. Also, no doubt, I'm probably on the autistic spectrum along with 90% of the people in IT. So that <laughs> didn't help me either. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? There are so many things that I've enjoyed about my career. You know, I've been doing this for 23 years. I think the most enjoyable period I ever had was I was running an agency at the time, but we had this one client that sold frozen ready meals to old people, right? Not the most exciting of products, but it was an e-commerce site. And that was such an exciting project to be involved with. And we worked with them for, for about seven years in total. And over that time, we ended up increasing their e-commerce sales by about 10,000%. It's a silly number, but it's, it's true. We, we grew their business massively, and it wasn't exactly small to begin with. But they, they ended up in a situation where they were competing with the likes of Tesco's and Waitrose and all these big names. And it was a hugely rewarding journey, partly because with e-commerce, you have this very clear measurement of success right? You know, the conversion rate goes up, the average lifetime value of the customer goes up, you know, you're doing well. But also because it was a journey with the client and the client was very much learning alongside us. So in the early days, there were like lots of quick wins that were great fun. So, you know, when we started off, for example, um, the previous site, they had a franchise model, which meant that each franchise across the country could set its own prices. So before they could give you a price on the website, they needed to know where you lived. So originally, when you went to the website, the very first thing you were confronted with before you could see any products or anything was enter your postcode. You know, talk about a usability barrier. Though in the early days, it was lots of quick fixes and that was fun. And we saw the conversion rate shoot through the roof and then it was all very satisfying. Then after that, we went through a period of time where it was all about understanding the customer needs. And we discovered that because it was an elderly audience, there were unique needs that made it a really exciting project. So there were, there were physical needs that, you know, a lot of the people had arthritis or vision problems and things like that. And so that created usability challenges that were fascinating to overcome. But there were also other customer needs, like the customer didn't like a stranger coming to their door, right? Because they didn't know who it was and that they couldn't unload. You know how Tesco's turn up and they just dump these big trays, don't they? And you've got to unload it. Well, this audience couldn't do that. And so we started to discover that there were opportunities in shaping the product as well. So, so for example, we started police checking all the drivers so that people were comfortable with them coming in the house and they would unpack and put stuff into the freezer for the customer. And and we did all those kinds of things. So there was this great period of, of user research and really understanding the customer and their needs. And then we got into this period of like relentless AB testing, you know, if we replace that signed by VeriSign logo that nobody understands that it makes the website secure and we replace it with a piece of text that says as secure as your bank with a padlock next to it, is that going to increase conversion? By the way, it did. 6% increase just on doing that. <laughs> so we got, you know, and that's great fun, just fiddling with wording and, and that kind of stuff. So it was a brilliant project, brilliant project, and I loved being involved. Right. So that obviously went very much beyond the technical solution. You obviously described a number of things that were more to do with the service as a result of what you found out. 
see, that's the thing is I don't think you can separate that, which goes back to that very first career tip, really, that, you know, it's all interconnected. You can have the best website in the world, but if you're, you know, if the delivery is horrible, then you've lost the client. You know, they're not going to come back to you again. You know, you could have the most sophisticated um, piece of technological solution with all of these amazing functions. But if you haven't done your user research and actually that functionality is not what the audience requires, you're wasting your time. All of this stuff blurs together, which is why I find it impossibly hard to explain what it is I do. (laughs) Okay. Um, so, Paul, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT in particular? Well, it's, it never stops, does it? It's always changing. There's new stuff all the time. And I love that. I love that, that almost things like job titles and roles are pretty much redundant. You get hired for one thing, and then before you know it, something new's come along that's sent it off in another direction. That, I think, attracts very kind of creative dynamic culture and people you know which are always wanting to explore stuff or always wanting to learn and i just i love that i find that a really rewarding environment are there any um sort of directions that technology is taking which particularly interest you unsurprisingly i'm encouraged to see the increasing focus on on people and the experience. I mean, the classic example of that is something like um, the old video recorders, right? When video recorders first came along, you know, you bought a video recorder because, wow, it couldn't record video, you know, and that itself was enough. And then it kind of went through this stage of, you know, in order to compete in the marketplace, they added more and more features. So it could, you could have a timer on it and it could, you know, you typed in a code and it would just set it automatically. And there were all these kinds of things came along. And you see this kind of pattern all the time. And then after that kind of features stage, you then get the user experience stage, which is when you get things like Netflix, you get things like Sky Plus, those kinds of things, where it now becomes about how easy it is to use. And you see that in kind of sector after sector. So, for example, you know, it's, the iPod wasn't, you know, Apple didn't invent MP3 players, but they moved it into the kind of user experience field. So it's that that cycle that I love. So you could, you know, name whatever new piece of technology you want. And that still applies to it. So if you're talking about something like machine learning or artificial intelligence or or big data, you know, at at the moment it's just we're all going, wow, these things are capable. But it's how that then evolves and how it gets into the hands of the consumer. You know, at the moment, for example, machine learning, we're very much focused on the benefits that it has to organizations. But eventually it will have benefits to all of us and we'll all have to be interacting with it in some way. And that's a fascinating area in itself. Yeah, it is. I think you touched on the word evolution in particular as well. So I think you're right. It is, it's, you know, what is this going to look like as it matures? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Yes, yeah, go for it. So what attracted you to a career in IT? Nothing, because I don't work in a career. I don't see myself as somebody who works in IT, right? Yeah, sure, I use technology, but I don't work in IT. 
So in a sense, nothing. I, I don't, you know, it's not an area I'm involved with. I mean, that said, I've always been fascinated by technology. And, you know, right back to, I, I'm always fascinated by how technology can make our world a better place. You know, I, I grew up on Star Trek, where technology led to this utopian future. So I guess I, it's not that I'm not interested in technology. I just don't feel that's primarily what I do. Okay. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? Some career advice from Winston Churchill, right? Not where you'd expect career advice to come from, but um, he supposedly, whether he really did, everything's attributed to Winston Churchill, isn't it? Or Einstein. But apparently he said, success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And that has been the best piece of a career advice I've ever received. Yes. <laughs> okay. And conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? I'm going to name the poor guy that gave this piece of advice, um, which is very unfair on him because I think his, his thinking has matured a lot over the years. But do you remember, do you know Gary Vanderchuk? Yes. Right? He's a very famous writer and presenter, etc. Um, and he's a bit of a business guru. Now, today he's grown up a bit. He's got a family. He's got a life and stuff. But early on, he just talked about you have to hustle. You have to constantly work. You know, if you want to succeed, you have to give up all the pleasures of life. You know, don't sit around on your ass playing the PlayStation. You need a hustle, hustle, hustle. That I think is really bad career advice because it just learns, leads to burnout. And as somebody that's been through that process, you know, the dot-com era burnt me out. And th that was bad for me. It was bad for me personally, it was bad for my career. So yeah, get a work-life balance. Don't just hustle the whole time. If you were to begin your career again right now in today's world, what would you do? Probably cry. Um, <laughs> that's not the answer you were looking not for. Not really, no. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, well, I mean, it's all so complicated now, isn't it? it do you is. know what I mean? If you're yep. learning from scratch now, wow, that's challenging. Uh, all right, let's, let's answer it a bit more sensibly than that. Um, I think personally, I would probably focus in on smart devices, because that's an area that really interests me and, and an area that I'm not really broken into yet. For me, you know, if I was talking about that development of technology, didn't I? I talked about, first of all, you're impressed it just exists. Then you're, then you're impressed by the features. Then you're impressed by the user experience. I think there's a step beyond that. And I think the step beyond that is where the interface becomes invisible where you don't interact with the technology. It just predicts and it does, right? Yep. That, I think, is a really interesting area. So a great example of that is um, you can get these, these cars. Now, my car is like it, right, where you can unlock it with an app. Well, what bloody use is that, right? Is it, it's quicker to get the key out of my pocket and press a button than it is to unlock my phone, find the appropriate app, press the button, etc. What we want is a car to detect that I'm walking up to it and automatically unlock it and open the door you know there's a great thing on some cars now where if you've got your key in your pocket and you kick the bu back bumper it automatically pops the trunk so if your hands are full of groceries you can then pop your stuff in right <laughs> yeah. that's that's the kind of stuff that i think that, you know where technology is invisible and ubiquitous that's where i'd be focusing and what career objectives are you currently focusing on I'm looking for some longer term partnerships with some businesses, right? So I do, I do a lot of mentoring already. 
where I kind of work with with businesses on an ad hoc basis. So don't come to me with a specific brief or, you know, we want you to help us redesign a specific interface. But instead, they just hire me to spend time helping them work through the day-to-day challenges. And I absolutely love that stuff. But I'd like to be doing it longer term with businesses, maybe even becoming like a non-executive director of some of these businesses, because more and more of them are talking about creating like chief customer offices or chief digital officers. And I, I see that as a kind of role that I would really get into. Yeah. Um, but I have to say I'm a bit opportunistic, if I'm honest, with my career. I can't say I'm, I'm working that hard to achieve this aim. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? That is a really difficult question. In fact, I do my own podcast. It's the longest running web design podcast out there. There was nothing out there like it when I started. And the next season that's starting, well, probably by the time this has come out and started, is on exactly that. What are the kind of essential soft skills? If I had to just pick one, I think I'd go the ability to sell, to sell an idea, to sell myself, to sell my vision, whatever. That that really has helped a lot. And what do you do to keep your own career energised? I think there are probably three things. One is I teach others, right? So I think it's really important to, for me uh, because it makes me think things through in my own head and get them straight. And also I get a buzz out of that light bulb moment in people's minds. Um, connect with others and learn from other people. So it's all about that interaction with other people that that really keeps me energized. And what do you do away from technology? <laughs> Can you is that possible <laughs> to be away from technology? I don't know. I, I think yeah, so I've heard it rumored. Um I I love to travel. So, you know, I'm I'm a great believer in seeing new sites and so yeah, whenever I get the opportunity I t- I like to travel and I, and I'm fortunate as well that I get to travel with work as well quite a lot and you know, I speak at various events around the world and that kind of thing. So, a bit of traveling any opportunity I get. So, you use the opportunity when you're traveling to go out and see see the place rather than just go into a conference room. Absolutely, yeah. It's a waste of time otherwise. Yes. What's the point, you know? Indeed. And Paul, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? I think it would be to remain flexible. Careers are a funny old thing, aren't they? They, do, they never go in the direction you think. I mean, when I trained, you know, and I was dreaming about what my career would be, the internet didn't even exist. Well, the internet did, but the World Wide Web didn't. And so you never quite know what the, the future is holding. Everybody gets very dogmatic about stuff, Right. So this is the best content management system. This is the best programming language. This is the best platform or tool or whatever else. And it's like they they invest themselves 100% in this. But the truth is with technology, technology comes and goes, right? Think of all those people that spent years in, in their career investing in Flash, <laughs> you know, or Cold Fusion. I don't suppose most people even remember what Cold Fusion was. But these kinds of things come and go. So really, I think from a career perspective, you've got to remain flexible and you've got to focus on those soft skills as much as possible. You know, those collaborative skills, those business skills, those kinds of things, because those will stand the test of time. Yes, absolutely. And Paul, can you tell us where we can find out more about you and how to connect with you? 
probably the best place to go is uh, boagworld.com, B-O-A-G world.com. Um, I've been blogging there for over 14 years now. So there is just a, an endless amount. And I blog religiously every week. Uh, so really any subject relating to user experience or digital, I'll have covered there at some point. From there, you can get access to the podcast that I've been running since 2015. So again, if you like podcasts, which I imagine you probably do if you're listening to this, um, then you might want to check that out as well. And things it's also got all the links to like Twitter and that kind of stuff as well. Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. No, absolute pleasure. And thank you for asking me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.